0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBS pod is for you. Episode 44 Critical Care Admission to Intensive Care Whilst Pregnant Or just after birth is thankfully relatively uncommon in this country. If you look at a review undertaken between 2009 and 2012 of pregnant or recently pregnant women to intensive care, it's only 1.4% of admissions. And it's therefore hardly surprising that our critical care colleagues may not be familiar with or comfortable with maternity care. If we flip it round and look at it from the opposite direction, from the maternity perspective, approximately 2.4 women per thousand maternities require critical care. So for any maternity service of maybe 4 or 5,000 births a year, that might be 8-10 women a year for an average maternity unit. The definition of recently pregnant, by the way, is up to 42 days after birth. So the numbers are small. And this, of course, is excellent news. After all, women do not expect to have a life-threatening illness when they get pregnant. However, for those of us caring for pregnant women and their families, It leaves a problem when that rare event happens. Neither the maternity staff nor the critical care staff are fully in their comfort zone. It becomes a situation in which everybody is slightly feeling their way. And as a result, small things can inadvertently have a big negative or positive impact on a mother and her baby. I've been thinking about this topic quite a lot recently because of the current pandemic. Up and down the country, we've experienced more pregnant women requiring intensive care in this wave of COVID than we did last spring, and my own hospital is no exception. One of the maternity experience projects I've run, Nobody's Patient, was about women who experience problems with their care because they fall through gaps between services. The bid for funding for that project was written with and the project run with two amazing women, Lee Kendall and Kat McLennan, both of whom I mentioned in the episode 26, Baby Loss Awareness Week. One of the arms of the project was specifically about women who become severely ill in pregnancy and how it can rob them of a more normal pregnancy and birth experience, let alone precious time with their baby. This was inspired by Lee's own experiences of being severely ill in intensive care, separated from her extremely preterm baby, Hugo, who later sadly died. If you want to know more detail about the project, I've included a link to one of Lee's blogs and her campaign in Hugo's name, Hugo's Legacy, continues. It's five years ago now since we tried to gather neonatal, maternity, gynaecology and critical care teams together in this way. And I have wondered during the pandemic how much have things changed since then? And what lessons can we learn from the experiences women are having at the moment? One of the most difficult things during the pandemic has been separation. Separation of mother and baby. This is always difficult when a woman needs intensive care. However, at the moment, this is exacerbated. If a woman is COVID positive and it's the COVID that's making her unwell, And her baby also needs neonatal intensive care. They are separated. Happily, one of the changes in the last few years is the use of technology. We are much better and much more familiar with FaceTime and video consultations. So women are being able to see their babies or their existing children virtually in a way that was much more difficult previously. However, we have to acknowledge that this is not the same as being able to see them in person. Partners too are experiencing enforced separation. They cannot visit their partner in intensive care in the way that families normally can do so. Hospital visiting restrictions are extremely limited. In maternity, we do have birth partners with women. But if the woman is moved to the main side of the hospital, to critical care, visitors are simply not allowed. And it's not just a question of rules, it's a question of risk. We simply can't have families coming in and out of a critical care unit dealing with severely ill COVID patients. The risks are too great for those visitors. So we can end up with a partner at home in self-isolation whilst two members of the family are critically ill in different parts of the hospital. Let's take a step back for a moment and think what I mean by critical care. There are specific definitions. Level 0 critical care is the normal care that might be obtained on a normal ward, on a normal maternity unit. That might be the care of an uncomplicated pregnancy, a woman with no other medical conditions or problems. Level one critical care might be a woman who's at risk of deterioration. She can be cared for on a normal ward, but she needs some input from critical care colleagues. In normal times, this might be a woman who has had a significant blood loss or a woman with mild preeclampsia. She needs input from our anaesthetic colleagues, as well as the obstetricians, and she may need some additional monitoring. Level 1 critical care also might be a woman who's been severely unwell and has stepped down from a higher level of critical care and is on her recovery journey. Most of level 1 critical care Is performed within the maternity unit. Level 2 critical care is where a woman needs more intensive monitoring, is deteriorating and has one organ system that requires additional support. This might be the respiratory system needing assistance with breathing or oxygen. It might be her cardiovascular system needing drugs to support her blood pressure or heart rate. It might be her neurological system, needing magnesium sulphate to prevent or treat an eclamptic fit. Some women at level 2 may be able to be managed in a high dependency area on our labour wards, but some will need to go across to our main intensive care unit or high dependency unit within the hospital. Finally, we come to level three. Level three means needing support of more than one system or needing advanced support. This might mean mechanical ventilation or a problem with her kidneys that requires hemofiltration. These women will always need caring for in a main critical care setting, away from the maternity unit. Confidential inquiries have shown that it's difficult for maternity staff to understand these levels of critical care and provide them within the maternity unit, just as it's hard for our critical care colleagues to understand the needs of maternity patients. In recent years, there's been much more emphasis on training for maternity staff so that they understand when a woman is deteriorating. We're extremely lucky in maternity. We have anaesthetists readily available on the labour ward and in our maternity theatres, on hand for discussion, assessment as a multidisciplinary team and to think about where best to care for a woman. Other areas of the hospital are not so lucky they rely on the critical care outreach team. This is a roving team who can assess patients that doctors are worried about throughout the hospital and can help optimise their care with advice and support. Part of this is to decide if critical care is really needed and make plans to transfer accordingly. But it's also to help support teams on wards and prevent deterioration to a point where critical care becomes necessary. Prevent admission by keeping the patient from deteriorating in the first place. There are many reasons why a woman might need to go to intensive care and require critical care in the main hospital. The commonest reason for us to need to transfer a woman to critical care is for respiratory support, ventilation. This might be because of an underlying respiratory problem, but it could be for any severe illness in which the respiratory system needs support. Crucially, with any pregnant woman, ventilation is significantly more difficult, particularly late in pregnancy. The pregnant womb sits just under the diaphragm, the muscle at the base of the chest that helps with breathing. It presses up and splints the diaphragm, making taking a deep breath much more difficult. You'll know if you've been pregnant, you get increasingly breathless towards the end of pregnancy. So when any pregnant woman needs ventilation, One of the key questions we immediately have to ask is, should we deliver the baby? And this can be extremely difficult. We're delivering not for the benefit of the baby, but for the benefit of the woman. Do we need to deliver that baby prematurely to enable life-saving treatment for the mother? Even out of COVID times, sepsis is a key factor in women requiring critical care. Sepsis can be rapid and devastating, taking a fit and healthy woman to the brink over a matter of days or even hours. A visible deterioration in front of your eyes. This can leave us with the heartache of choices, trying to save a mother, resulting in a preterm baby and possibly, sadly, the death of that baby. The saddest birth I ever witnessed was a preterm birth in intensive care. It was night, and I walked through the deserted hospital corridors to the intensive care, just two of us, myself and the midwife I'd been sent with. We were clutching a delivery pack, and the few drugs needed to help deliver the placenta. Having to tell a family that there was little hope for either mother or baby, I was hardly able to find the words. We drew screens round the bed with the pretense of privacy. The intensive care staff stood back, leaving us to get on with our work. And there was a strange miracle of a body knowing it could no longer support a baby. Labouring spontaneously and then silence, silence of a baby that had succumbed and a mother that was ventilated and oblivious. I still remember the tears that fell as the midwife and I gently worked. It's years ago now, but it's ingrained in my mind and I can still remember their names, both mother and baby. When I look back and reflect, I realise I did this as a registrar. How was that? I felt out of depth giving such devastating news to not only her partner, but her parents and extended family. And witnessing such a tragic birth, why was it left to me? Where was my consultant? But at the time, I didn't question it. To some degree, I took it in my stride, tucked away those feelings, chalked it up to education, experience, a rite of passage, perhaps, that I needed to pass through. I think I didn't question it. I didn't realise what an extraordinary birth and what a unique experience this was to be in my career. As I've said, we don't send many women to intensive care. And when we do... They often don't stay very long. A common reason might be after a massive hemorrhage, we may have replaced countless units of blood and blood products, more than the woman's total blood volume. Perhaps with extensive surgery, hours on the operating table, us fighting tooth and nail to save that mother's life. And women are incredible, their resilience. They bounce back. Usually, our intensive care or critical care admissions are 24 or 48 hours, quite quick. And then they come back to us, recover. We're not used to long intensive care stays. And I think that's where COVID has been different. We've seen women in intensive care for weeks in a way that we don't usually. With any woman going to critical care, we have to consider the psychological impact, longer-term recovery and follow-up. After all, what does it feel like to have a life-threatening illness at what was supposed to be such a life-affirming moment? And we mustn't just think about the women, the partner torn between an immensely sick woman and a baby. Our critical care colleagues have a psychological follow-up clinic allowing patients who have experienced critical care to reflect on their experiences, work through and process those traumas. And I've had women under my care who've required critical care come back to me for multiple follow ups. Sometimes it's a few weeks or months, but equally I've had women come back to me after a year or two. Perhaps the anniversary of their illness has brought something back to them and they've wanted to come back and talk through things. And understand and work it through. It's never too late for a follow up if you need to see someone and talk something through. The staff too sometimes struggle because the need for critical care is unusual in maternity and we're always questioning ourselves. Of course, any woman who's admitted to critical care. We immediately launch a risk investigation to review the care. Think could we have done something differently? Could this illness have been avoided? And because it's a relatively small number of women that need this sort of care every year, every person in the maternity unit feels a sense of responsibility, wants to know how that woman is, she and that her family may have come into contact with dozens of members of staff, possibly even hundreds and each person wants to assure themselves that they did their best, that that woman's recovering, they're watching their progress and wishing them better. Certainly during Covid there's been a collective anxiety every time we have a woman who's severely unwell and when they recover, which fortunately they have, you can feel the atmosphere in the maternity unit change. A sense of relief is palpable, almost like a collective sigh. Now for the zesty bit. When thinking about the life-threatening and instituting the life-saving, do not ignore the little things that will later make a difference to that woman and family, whether it be FaceTiming a baby or expressing some breast milk while a woman is ventilated to retain the possibility of her breastfeeding at a later point. Try and understand And listen to women's experience of severe illness in pregnancy. There are some great videos on Health Talk Online that I've linked to this episode that you can learn from. And think from the experiences of women becoming severely unwell during the pandemic. What can we learn from? What can we gain? What changes can we make that will make things better? for women who are so unwell in the future. And if you're a pregnant woman listening to this, know that it's extremely rare to need intensive critical care and that there is a readily accessible multidisciplinary team of obstetricians, midwives, nurses and anaesthetists ready to care for you. And yes, we do really care Every single person you come into contact with will be rooting for you, will be trying to do their very best to ensure your recovery and the safety of you and your baby. There are developing networks of maternal medicine, both formal and informal, so that we're better equipped to recognise and treat that extremely rare complication, so that we can phone a friend, as it were, Pool our knowledge and use it to pull you through. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Obspod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FW Maternity or at the Obspod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes, or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic. When you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care. I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the Obspod to friends or colleagues. And please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.